This morning we are going to be looking at John chapter 13 verses 1 through 30. This is really the beginning of the end in the book of John. The first 12 chapters of the book um, sometimes are called the book of signs um, because it's all about the, the different signs pointing people to who Jesus is. And now here at chapter 13 we have this turning point and we begin with a dinner. A dinner where Jesus gathers together his disciples so that he can share this one last meal with them, this last opportunity to give instruction to them before he's going to die. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so it's in this context of Jesus loving his disciples and knowing that his time has arrived, the hour has come for his death, that Jesus does a radical act to show this love to his followers. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus starts out this, this meal, this, this time of farewell with his followers by doing something truly amazing and completely out of the, the realm of normalcy for the time. He takes off his outer clothes, lays them down, and instead picks up a towel and wraps it around his waist, dressing himself to look like a servant or a slave. And he does a task, a task that is so low and thought to be so menial that only the, the lowest of all slaves or lowest of all servants would ever perform this task. Maybe, maybe a disciple might pick up a bowl of water to wash their teacher's feet, uh, but never would peers wash one another's feet, um, and never ever would a rabbi or a teacher or someone who is, is thought of to be a leader, never would they wash the feet of those that others would see as lower than them or beneath them. But here at this dinner, no one in the room was willing to take up this task. No one in the room was willing to cause themselves to be seen as the least among their peers. Nobody wanted to be seen as on the bottom of the org chart. So Jesus picks up this task that none of his disciples are willing to do. He becomes the servant of all. And you can almost imagine the disciples sitting back in shame and embarrassed silence as their leader shows a kind of humility that they were too proud and self-important to express. Jesus knows the truth about himself, 
we see here in Scripture that, that he knew who he was. He knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. He knew where he was going. Jesus understood who he was. He understood his relationship to the Father, and he understood his purpose in the world. And because of this, because he was so secure in who he was and in his purpose, he was able to lay aside his clothes, to tie that towel around his waist, and to become a servant of all, to become the least in the room. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what am I doing? What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Culturally speaking, Peter is rightfully horrified at Jesus' actions. Jesus was their rabbi, leader, and Lord, and he was stooping low. He should not be doing this. Banquets were a place of displaying your social status. Who was greater? Um, giving people honor and trying, people trying to position themselves in a way as to receive honor. And here we see that the greatest at this banquet, the greatest among them, is positioning himself as the least. This is completely upside down and backwards for the time. The greatest at a banquet is meant to receive honor. But Jesus, the greatest, acts like the least and invites those in relationship with him not to pursue their own honor and status, but to follow him and pursue humility. The problem was, again, that humility was not a virtue in the Greco-Roman context. In this culture where they were, where the disciples were living and Jesus was living, virtue, there was not a virtue of humility. Instead, the virtue was honor and seeking public honor. And it was okay to try to go around seeking public honor through self-promotion and self-flattery, by positioning and jockeying for favor, uh, by publicly praising yourself and trying to get other people to praise you. The, the Roman Emperor Augustus um, even went so far as to write this 2,500-word um, paper praising himself about how great and mighty he was, all of his military accomplishments, um, all of the people who would grovel and give him favor. And so he wrote this, this page of, of self-promotion. Um, he had it sent out and distributed throughout the empire and then had it um, made into bronze tablets to be placed on his mausoleum because this is what Rome was about. It was about self-flattery. It was about seeking after honor. Um, they loved honor. They loved displays of public honor. 
and humility, conversely, was seen as something that was shameful. It was debasing and menial. Um, if you were humbled, if you were a humble person, that meant that you had been crushed and defeated, that you had no honor, um, and that there was nothing about you or about your accomplishments that um, was worth praising. And so in this honor-shame culture where honor was important, um, humility and humbleness, placing yourself lower than someone else, um, was just seen as something that would be horrendous and that no person in their right mind would pursue. And so Peter tries to stop Jesus. Um, he tries to stop him and says, would you wash my feet? Peter understands the social norms and he understands where Jesus is and where Peter is. And for Jesus to lower himself to wash his disciples' feet was unheard of. And so Peter tries to fight against this act of service by Jesus until Jesus begins to explain himself. And, and Jesus tells him that you don't understand, but you will soon. He's, he's pointing to his death, that after his death, Peter would understand what this whole scene was about. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So Peter, not fully aware and not completely understanding, grasps enough of what Jesus is saying to understand that he wants to have whatever Jesus is offering him. He wants to be able to take part with Jesus. He wants to be in a relationship with him. He wants to be a part of his kingdom. He wants to have an inheritance alongside Jesus. And so Peter says that, that if, if this is what it takes, if allowing you to wash me is what it takes for me to be in relationship with you, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head's head also. He's saying, just, just wash all of me then if this is what it takes. Um, but Jesus responds to this, um, this misplaced enthusiasm by saying, you don't need to be fully bathed again. You just need your feet washed. What I've done is enough. You are clean. And then he says, but not all of you, because he knows uh, that Judas is there amongst them. And he knows that Judas is going to betray him. Jesus washes all of their feet, humbling himself to clean them. A powerful picture of what is about to come. Jesus was willing to allow himself to be subject to the most humiliating death available in the Roman Empire for the cleansing of the world. And so he, he tells Peter, you don't need a bath. What you need, what Peter really needed was to see Jesus's upcoming death, not as proof that Jesus had been defeated and humiliated, but that in his death, Jesus was willing willingly choosing the path of humble service and sacrifice for the sake of others, for the cleansing of our sins. This, this whole scene of Jesus washing his disciples' feet was necessary for them to have new eyes to see what was about to happen. 
and what others would see as Jesus' low moment, the cross was actually going to be Jesus being elevated, honored, and lifted up and made rightful king of all. So when he, Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus, as the greatest and most deserving of honor, chooses to stoop low, uh, to bend down, to wash the feet of his disciples, and he instructs his followers that they are to follow in the same pattern, to behave as he behaved. And you hear this same kind of upside-down principle throughout Jesus' teachings. The least shall become the greatest. Blessed are the poor and persecuted and reviled. The rulers of this world lord it over their people, but not so among you. Among you the greatest shall become the servant of all. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Whoever humbles himself like a child will be the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus makes humility a hallmark for his followers. Humility, this willingness to serve others. An absence of pride and arrogance, a bending low for the sake of others. Not so much self-abasement as it is self-forgetting, which in turn allows us to take an intense interest in the lives of others. I love that definition of humility, that we, we forget ourselves and take an interest in others. And so Jesus gives his followers a command to follow him in this pattern, this way of humility. Foot washing forever changed the way that Jesus' followers would view his death and resurrection. It would change the way they would view humility. It was no longer something that was shameful and weak. Instead, it was the very power of God on display, stooping low to humbly serve and sacrifice for others was the very means of grace, the very means of defeating evil. It was a new ethos for a new kingdom that was being ushered in. I love this quote. For Christians, the crucifixion was not evidence of Jesus's humiliation, but proof that greatness can express itself in humility, the noble choice to lower yourself for the sake of others. No longer were Jesus' followers to view things like honor and shame in light of the earthly empire in which they lived, but instead in light of this new upside-down kingdom of God, 
where only after Jesus humbled himself was he lifted up to a place of honor and glory. At this banquet, the disciples had to choose between the way of honor and status or the way of Jesus. The way of honor and status or the way of humility and service. And Jesus tells them, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's like he's asking the question, will what just happened to you, what you just witnessed and experienced, change the way you live? So what about us today? I think much like the Roman culture, our culture doesn't admire humility today either. If you look at sports, politics, academics, business, um, we can easily realize that humility is not a virtue. Instead, we have self-promotion and boasting, positioning for power, seeking after status and reputation, jockeying for position. Uh, there have been studies over the last few decades showing that, that humility in public discourse is declining. Uh, all you have to do is scroll through social media, listen to politicians, watch cable news programs, um, sadly even listen to some Christian leaders and pastors. Um, and I think the words that you would use to describe what you see and hear um, are more likely to be words like arrogant, brash, demeaning towards others, instead of words like humble and gentle. In Jesus, we see stooping low in order to elevate others. But in our world, we belittle and attack and push others down so that we might be elevated ourselves. completely backwards from the example that we get of Jesus. And I think that in our culture today that we are sadly drawn to displays of self-promotion and self-praise, um, of of othering people that we disagree with, demeaning them, dehumanizing our opponents. We seem to follow and like certain public figures and leaders, not despite their lack of humility, but precisely because of it. Uh, we like that they're not gentle and lowly, like Jesus strikingly described himself. We like when leaders and people fight back don't hold punches. We like when our side boasts of greatness and puts down others. We think this is the best strategy to win. And I wonder if this is because we truly don't believe that the way of Jesus works in the world that we live in. We don't think that lowering ourselves, that serving others, sacrificing and embracing humility um, are as effective as the strategies of this world. But we cannot employ the tactics of the kingdom of darkness and expect to see the fruit of the kingdom of God. The way of the enemy brings death and destruction, and the humble way of Jesus brings about life and resurrection. The tactics of the kingdom of God might seem foolish and ineffective, but they are the very power of God at work in the world to bring about freedom from the powers of evil and the restoration of all creation.
we have to decide today who we want to be discipled by. Do we want to be discipled into the way of Jesus or into the way of the world? Who are we going to allow our lives to be patterned after? So after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him and asked to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, What are you going to do? Do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Jesus is greatly troubled because he knows that one who he loved, one who he had served, one for whom he was going to give his life was going to betray him. So Judas received one more act of fellowship from Jesus. After Jesus had stooped to wash his feet, Jesus offered him bread that he had dipped into the cup. And then Satan enters Judas and Judas leaves the table of fellowship and he immediately went out and John writes uh, that it was night. It's as if Judas, having left Jesus, the one who was the light of the world, that he is now walking in darkness. That for him, from here on out, it is night. I wonder if when Jesus washed Judas's feet, as he lowered himself so that he might lift Judas up, if for Judas this radical act of humble service was actually despised and seen as weak and lowly. Wonder if as Jesus is, is there washing Judas's feet, washing the dust off of his feet and turning to each disciple in turn, if Judas was thinking, is this the kind of leader I want to give my life for? Is this the kind of leader that I want to follow? A weak leader who would debase himself in this way? Where's the strength and the might and the boldness? How are we supposed to change the world with a weak and gentle and lowly leader like this? How are we supposed to defeat our enemies if instead of embracing brute force, we embrace humiliating service? Judas was invited into a radical way of humble service and instead he chose to betray the one who loved him and who would give his life for him. Will we today similarly reject Jesus' call to humility in order to cling to a corrupt and corrupting pattern offered in this world? Or will we hear Jesus' call to follow his example as we embrace humility for the sake of others? As we close, I want to leave us with these words from Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, 
any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 